In season two, episode two, I'm once again joined by school principal and student behavior management expert Rob Lands to chat about practical solutions to those common mistakes schools are making when addressing student behavior challenges. Stay tuned. Welcome to Well Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff for being school culture and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and well-being consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff wellbeing action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. I'm so glad you're here listening to the Well-Led Schools podcast. This episode is part two in a series. In the first episode, my guest Rob Lands and I unpacked some of the common mistakes schools are making when addressing student behavior challenges. Please do listen to that episode if you haven't already. And in today's episode, we're going to go over some solutions to these common challenge areas. Just a reminder, Rob Lands is a school principal and expert in behaviour management. He has spent his career in education as a teacher, moving into a student services role, and then eventually stepping into the department to work with numerous schools across the ACT to support with tailored approaches to managing complex student behaviours. He's now a school principal and is sharing his very vast knowledge with us here on the podcast. Enjoy. Right, so thank you everybody for joining us for part two on our key mistakes we're looking at in episode one, which was the key mistakes that schools are making in regards to their student and classroom management approaches or systemizing of their approaches. And today we're going through all of the solutions that we think link in nicely with some of those mistakes or those challenges that we're seeing in school. So thank you again. Rob, for joining me to share your expert knowledge on this area. I know you've worked with a number of schools to support them with pretty much all of these solutions, as well as observing a lot of these mistakes, which, you know, we don't, we we try with the best of intentions. <laughs> Nobody's at fault for making these mistakes. We, we talked a lot about in the first episode around time and resourcing and staffing getting in the way, uh, as well as competing responsibilities across schools. So no judgment, of course, from either of us, because we've probably um, definitely been a part of schools or led schools where these mistakes have been made as well. Made them all before, made every mm. single one of these mistakes and not just once probably. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it is human to make mistakes, but it's what we do with those mistakes and how we learn from them and how we, how we move forward. So Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. No judgment at all. But yeah. <laughs> So if yeah. you're listening to this episode for the first time and you haven't heard episode one or part one, please go back and listen to that because we do unpack some of those keys, mistakes and, ch- and challenges. I've got a chin here. No, I can't. <laughs> See a little fella. I can, I can hear a mistake happening out in my living room <laughs> with my four-year-old, with my four-year-old there. So, yes, do go back and listen to those episodes. Uh, But today we're going to delve into those solutions uh, to those areas that we were discussing. 
Okay, so the first solution that we identified out of our last episode was to co-create a vision for your student management approach alongside your staff and then to keep it alive through regular review. So this is a key part actually of the process that we're embedding with the pilot schools are working with, isn't it, Rob? It's about really as a senior leadership team first identifying what our vision is for our school, so where we'd like to be, how we'd like our school to look, sound and feel and the results that we'd like to be achieving, but then bringing together our approach and something that's easy to understand and, and, and unpack with our staff, easy for them to follow and stay on track with. And, and that, in essence, of course, increases engagement and consultation with our staff, but also achieves that clarity and, and reduced confusion and, and, and aids in our consistency of the approach. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when we're looking at building this, every school, every leadership team needs a direction. They need a focus, but the power comes from doing it hand in hand or side by side with the staff. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't just have a, a free-for-all where the discussion goes around and around in circles forever and we never get anywhere. Um, and that's where that little bit of direction and, and support and, and pre-thinking comes into it. But the power comes from the collective believing and putting into that something that they feel that they can get out of it. So, mm. you know, if they're able to tell somebody about it because they created it, then you're, you're winning already. That's right. And um, without that shared vision, those initiatives are likely to fail. So the transformative approach of, of having a vision is that it's not all wishy-washy. Uh, it's it's all in the alignment of our staff uh, in that shared expectations that we have of one another. And it allows everybody to see their place in the approach as well. Um, gives us something to communicate to our students and to our community too. Yeah, it gives yeah. us something to bounce back on. Uh, and, and hopefully what it shows you over time is as you continue that kind of ongoing um, regular data checking information, what you build is a positive story. Mm. As you get more people online and as you follow those initiatives, as you, as you follow the, the different tasks or actions that you have in place, you actually see the positive results because when people work as a collective, you do get good results. Yeah. you do have a broader impact on, on your student body. Yeah, and I think we, we should never sort of downplay setting goals and having a vision in how it subconsciously aligns our staff and our community and even us as leaders to make certain decisions. Uh, we think that sometimes those vision-setting conversations and processes kind of get forgotten, but they don't. They, again, uh, help us all to be moving together in the one direction or, as you say, hopping on that bus together. Um, and, and yeah, it doesn't just become a piece of paper. It actually does become embedded into our culture and into our values when we discuss that. So while we might not remember our vision word for word, it helps people to be on board with the direction. Yep. And that's what ties in so nicely with keeping on the agenda regularly because you need to refresh it. You need to keep it in the forefront of people's mind. They might not know exactly all those ins and outs and intricacies of what you did in the vision words, but they know the feeling Mm. and they know what it's like to work together as a team and they know what it's like to be able to achieve something as a team. And so, therefore, it's very easy to reconnect and to reestablish when you keep it on the agenda um, and you have that consistency. And the important, another element that's super important there is how do you bring new staff into the fold when they Mm. come into the school? What's your process to induct staff into that methodology, into that? Um, feeling that culture that you have in the school setting because you've worked so hard to build it, you know, you need to maintain it 
And so you mm. can't just let it be diluted and, and, and flow away. You need to keep it at the forefront of everybody's, you know, perspective. Absolutely. I think one of the best ways to do that is to make it visual. So not just putting your vision in words around the school. I think, um, you know, representing things in pictures and in displays and graphics is is really good for the multiple ways that we all learn. Uh, but having that around the place, regularly reviewing it, checking back in, are we, yeah, are we still following through with that? Are we achieving our goals? Are we edging closer? Are we slipping further away? Um, and and that comes through in that regular review of uh, well-being and, and student behaviour data uh, and unpacking it in different ways. That also keep, we were talking about this the other day, weren't we, Rob, with a school that it keeps our review from being bland <laughs> is to look at current data or different areas of data or progress, growth, whether we're falling back. We don't have to just keep saying this is our vision these are our values. It's how are we tracking towards those performance goals? What's happening at school? Where are things cropping up that weren't before? You know, it's a whack-a-mole. Like any strategic approach, we'll focus on something so long uh, that we'll nail it, but then inevitably something spurs up behind us, another focus area. So we have to take our attention there. Um yeah, so I think that that's a really good way to regularly review things without it being boring as ever <laughs> and i loved your point around um you know the visual side of things because having something front and center means that actually subconsciously you are keeping it on the agenda you are reviewing it because as people walk past it and they read it or they engage with it that's keeping it up and forefront in their mind um i know a school we worked at had a beautiful display of some of the achievements or the goals they wanted to achieve even within you know that three-year period so some people would say oh that's such a long time how am i supposed to know you know how am i supposed to um really understand what's going on and what the school did is every little piece of work they did they showed the staff by attaching it to this you know big visual and this timeline around well this workshop on trauma actually links into this vision that we have over here and it reminds staff that all these little things aren't just little chunks of something we do sporadically just to get pd time it's actually linked into a bigger picture and they Mm. all feed into a, a bigger goal and when we understand that bigger picture then we achieve that vision and that goal uh, you know, much more successfully. Yeah, and I, you know, a perfect example is if a school was being quite proactive and even providing PL and differentiation, that links in with our student management goals in, in terms of something quite proactive and preventative. Uh, and just remembering to link it back, whether you have key goals and they're numbered and, and things are linked with a number or a picture to whatever your values are, uh, it, it's always just trying to remind staff and provide them with that perspective of how this all fits into the bigger picture, um, which most things do with behaviour and, and student engagement. Um, they they all, they all link back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing the uh, interlaced web. It's connected in every single facet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then our next solution was around adopting that approach to student management or classroom management that includes or embeds or weaves in empathy, trauma-informed practices, and, of course, restorative practices. So we talked a lot about that being a, a mistake or or even schools might say they're trauma-informed but they're not regularly reviewing it or are they truly trauma-informed? Just a couple of PLs isn't enough, I guess, <laughs> to, to be able to say that you are. But, um, yeah, that mistake around not not developing a focus on empathy and understanding and, and awareness um, is, is really important. How do we bring the human into the relationships that we have to 
so mm. intricately deal with every day because they are personal uh, and every student is an individual and every staff member is an individual. So how do we have systems? How do we have training? How do we have skill sets that support that empathy, that flexibility, that understanding and that, that human approach to human incidents that occur? Mm. How do we maintain relationships? How do we make them positive and how do we build? Mm. So. Yeah, that, a key that. solution I think that comes to mind in that area that I'm going to stray away from, I think it's quite obvious that we can embed a trauma-informed practice or support group or program in our school. I, we, I don't think we need to provide advice in that. But I'm thinking more some of the solutions that we've discovered uh, with the schools that we're working with is even just in making the time to have the conversations or unpack case studies uh, or or have staff share their different perspectives or understanding of a student or experiences working with a student who was similar beforehand, we've actually had lots of school leaders report success just in plugging in the time to have those free and open conversations to develop the understanding and the empathy. Uh, And that, you know, you also, um, we had something beautiful pop up the other day where uh, a, a leader noticed how successful that was to have that time with her staff to be able to develop empathy and understanding of one another. And we talked about the link with allowing the time for those conversations with our students and our community members as well. So some, a solution is even as simple as case studies, discussions, um, those data chats, uh, but without it being too structured or reliant on some really systemized training around tra- trauma-informed practice. Yeah, it's being able to find a teachable moment, pulling on all those skills that um, we are hopefully, you know, creating opportunities for our staff to have through trainings, mm-hmm. through the restorative practices or the trauma-informed approaches. But it's the ability for them in a well-constructed system or timetable, they can pull on those skills and in that teachable moment, connect with those students when they're given the time to do that. Yeah. Um, and that becomes, it's not a luxury, but it becomes a necessity in that refining of that system and, and ultimately, you know, changing an incident from something that could be seen as negative or, or wrong into a, into a positive learning experience mm-hmm. and, and where a student can grow from that without feeling demoralised or shamed by the actions that they've, they've had. Um, and I guess I, that, I mean that, that's really with staff as well, you know, because we're all learning as we go. So it's about how do we have that opportunity to pull those skills and actually breathe? Because sometimes, even in a school, you know, it's hard just to remember to breathe. Yeah, <laughs> that's so right. And I think it's that you know we started to discuss in the last episode around when we're trauma informed or we have that empathy. It's particularly evident in our ability to develop those tier three behavior plans and stages of escalation for some of our key students. So if if we are empathetic and we are trauma informed, we realize that there are going to be a few of our students who aren't going to be able to meet the general expectations across the school and, and might Uh, at least in the beginning, hopefully, if we're doing things well, it should only be in the beginning, uh, have their own own plan that we can refer to that still has their expectations um, that are slightly uh, more flexible to suit them and their ability level and it gives them that chance to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. I really like, you know, what what touches a real special sort of um, memory or nerve for me is that flexibility in our response when when other people can understand that it doesn't just have to be this black and white, um, mm. that it can be this flexible because 
what's one one person's consequence might mean nothing to a, to another person or vice versa if you know what i mean so that mm. a bit, but it's not just the ability to be flexible it's the understanding that everyone else around has the empathy to understand that flexibility mm. that's when you get really you know really great changes happening because then everybody understands that actually we're on a one big team together yeah. you know and we're, we're all working for similar goals mm. Mm. so get great change yeah that's right Great. Okay. So our next solution, I think we're up to solution one, three, was around developing some creative resourcing of support systems to ensure that your approach to student and classroom management is a success. So Rob, particularly as a principal, you can definitely speak to that one there. So we talked about the mistakes uh, being, of course, uh, quite a big problem uh, system-wide, but maybe at a level that we can control it was around you know not necessarily putting in the the thought or the planning to be able to use our resources in our school to our advantage is that what you'd say it was in the end yeah again it's that twofold thing isn't it around we talk about systematic um, you know system uh funding and we talk about what we can do in our own schools and Mm. I think it is really easy to, you know, jump on the bandwagon and say we never get enough and there's never enough staff and, there's no, and, and that's true, there isn't. But what can we still do in the meantime at a school level? And so that creative idea around, you know, we do need to get priorities for certain aspects um, in our school and some of those mistakes in terms of resourcing can be tied to focusing so heavily on curriculum-based areas where, you know, we must do the you know the English side of things first. We must do the mathematics side of things and the numeracy side of things first. But actually, we're not going to get students to learn if they're not in the right place and they're not in the right space. So when we talk about resourcing, it's about getting our students to a position where they're ready to learn so that when they're there, they can absorb everything they need to rather than continuously fighting the let's do this and let's do English and let's do, um, you know, our literacy and let's do our numeracy because in, actually we're just we're hitting a brick wall. So how does resourcing support that? It's the creativity of what goes into those spaces. How do we ensure our timetables and our daily workings and our supports in classrooms give students enough time to be regulated and to not feel overwhelmed? Um, how do we provide students with, with additional needs, the breaks that they, they need to have or the um, extra support that they need to have with the person sitting next to them? Um, and is that more valuable to be proactive in supporting them to prevent them from having an explosion or do we put the resourcing into them having to deal with that explosion that comes mm. from it? So in the end, we end up paying either way almost. Yeah, uh, we do. So it's, it's just a matter of where do you want to put that money. And ultimately, if you can put it into systems that are going to prevent first, then the long run and the bigger picture is going to be the outcome is going to be heaps better. Mm. Um, you know, it might cost, you know, actually cost a lot in the short term, uh, but in the long term, where you'll be able to pull back some of those benefits and some of those actual costs. Um, so creatively, staffing solutions, how do you work with more staff, limited staff, classroom sizes? Um, you and I had a position uh, in the school where we employed not one youth worker but two youth workers in a primary school to enable us to have systems that could function and operate and support those students better. Now, when you look at that in a, in a budget, budgetary sense in a, in, a, in a school, that's almost unheard of. You know, that is one and a half staff members right there on two youth support workers that other people might say it's got no educational benefit at all. But you and I would know the educational benefit of having those guys meant that actually those students that they supported went from being 20% engaged in the classroom 
to being like, you know, 60 or 80% engaged in a classroom. And that, you know, 50%, 60% improvement in their engagement just doesn't have a price on it. No, that's right. And it was like a breath of fresh air coming to work uh, at our school when, and, and it kept coming up when I was studying, when I was doing my master's. One of the key findings was that, to, you know, to ensure the success and engagement, we have to focus on the functionality of our classrooms before we try and lump on too many things. So there are schools and classrooms and areas, jurisdictions, everything right across the the country who can afford to bring in new initiatives and learning initiatives and curriculum moves, all of those things. But there are certain schools who are so caught up in departmental demands or new initiatives or the shiny object syndrome of what's being introduced um, in, you know, in government schools and probably non-government schools right across the country. But it comes back to what's the point in taking on all of those things if we don't have basic functionality in our school and in our classrooms. And when I came to work at our school, to see that in place and how the focus was on getting our students to love learning and feel connected and wanting to be at school and feel safe at school was 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 the most important thing. From there, we could then begin to build on that introduce curriculum initiatives, begin to focus on our growth academically. But I I think it sometimes gets flipped on its head, doesn't it, where we focus on those other things first because of pressures, whereas we were talking about in the last episode, it's about pushing back. We can't possibly take that on. Look at our data. Look at what's happening in our school. Look at, you know, our staff turnover. We're just going to have to say no to that. And, you know, maybe that's the rebels in us. But 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 otherwise we just continue to lose staff year after year after year. Students, we get a, another influx of um, students who've been booted out of elsewhere to come to our school, and we have no systems to be able to support them. So right. having specialty staff to build those relationships, to follow through with reteach, for instance, with our PBS model, uh, is is an investment that's worth it in the long run. Yeah, it is. It is. It's absolutely true. And. We need to do what we can in, in, in the short term. But I think what you said there, pushing back is really important and letting, you know, the, the higher levels understand and know that actually, you know, education along with so many other community sectors are fundamental building blocks. And if we can get those building blocks, you know, stable uh, and in a place where they can really, you know, respond to challenges in life, then it doesn't matter what genre they're put in or what area or challenge they face, they can use those skill sets that they've they've developed and so creative resourcing as well we did a lot of work with community partnerships you know building as many opportunities as we can seeking all sorts of additional um you know whether it be funding or project-based funding you know and whilst that takes time it actually you know creates a lot of excitement and, and opportunity as well opportunity for staff leaders to step up and be a leader in a project and you know apply for funding grants yes it's extra work but that's where as a leadership team you then refine back what, what that workload is for those students, how, uh, sorry, for those staff. How do you support them to be able to do this great stuff? You know, how do you reduce their workload? Um, mm. You know, we've got to stop this constant barrage of more, 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 more admin and less and less and less and less support in terms of our, our staffing and our, and our students and the ratios in our classrooms. Um, yeah, I think it's a real big one, the resourcing, and it's a real big eye-opener. 
Um, and there's going to be many, many discussions about it moving forward in the future about how it works in school settings. Yeah, and, and resourcing, it's important to note as well, isn't just staff. It's processes, it's flowcharts, it's how we do things. And as you were saying before, um, it's it's our linking up with community our family's been in agencies as well, which I, you know, when we were meant to come up with our five mistakes and I had like seven or eight, um, one of them was in not involving our community enough, uh, particularly in, in schools I'm thinking, you know, where behaviour is a real challenge and, um, you know, there are lots of community groups who can support us and, you know, we're not so connected with with families and, uh, and those certain groups uh, out there in our place and space. But, there is so much value in that youth support there as well. Uh, I think that that's really what we're beginning to lose as a society now in modern day life is that mentoring and the role modelling that just kind of doesn't really happen in today's day and age. But, uh, yeah, bringing if we can't do it with a youth support worker, how can we provide youth support or support for children utilising our community because yeah. I guarantee you that there's a lot of people in your community who do really want to get involved and who do um, have the skill set. But in saying that, sending out a survey at the beginning of the year asking what people can do or contribute probably won't yield the results we want. It Relationships comes first. Um, so ensuring that that's part of our process and our plan too is to to you know, resource for free, but that starts with building relationships, particularly when you might not be able to pay people. Yeah, absolutely. But I love the idea of, you know, we've got to stop being little silos and working individually. Yeah. And we've got to learn to work as that community and work as clusters and share that information. Yeah, the cluster schools. That comes up a lot in your action plans I see too is um, to lean on one another and and, and to learn what, what other schools are doing strategically to be able to manage with the resourcing that they're allocated there, schools are really clever. We, you know, we, we saw that in our school you were able to um, do really smart things with budgets and things like that. So what are the schools in a similar boat to you doing? Um, yep. And it's the also the benefit of probably building the relationships with these other schools is building uh, a group of you to push up ideas further rather than just being one principal saying, I need this when there's a group of five of you uh, standing in uh, arm in arm together, pushing that agenda, I think you're going to be more likely to get the results that you're looking for. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, you know, it's just a big shout out for community, isn't it? And working mm. together, it really is, you know, what we actually need to refine a bit better. Unfortunately, I think society's sort of driven us apart a little bit into our little solo, you know, even as mums and dads, we have to look after our, our little mm. lives all by ourselves and we must be resilient. We don't, well, actually, we didn't used to do that. We used to live in a community and we'd have helpers and we'd have other families and we'd have other mums and we'd have other dads and we'd share resources and we'd share food. And we, and so that concept needs to come back into our into our modern society of um, reconnecting with everybody. Yeah, so that's a way we can resource without any money. Our next solution was, which one are we up to now? One, two, three, four. Is it four? Yes. I think, or are we five? I think we're on five maybe. It was to ensure follow-through and uh, an adequate or a systemized, I guess, communication process. So we talked a lot about the follow-through on our approach to student classroom management behaviour, pastoral care, 
but also how we're looping everybody back in with our communication processes. So what is your solution there, Rob, to um, to making sure that we have a follow-through? Uh, is that part of our flowcharts? Is that um, part of yeah. our general process that we just have to keep regularly reviewing? How do we do that? Yeah, it, it needs to be a process. It needs to be a systemized approach that builds in that step along the way that that because then it does two things it reminds us to actually do the step and then we and then we have the communication that that um uh gives the staff and the students their reassurance uh and the understanding that there is a follow-through happening uh and a connection to the bigger picture that you know what's going on where we're working to um so the follow-through and the communication sorry the follow-through communication is a vital step within that process of, of understanding um I think the last element or, the, you know, apart from being in the process is, is ensuring that the teachers themselves are involved in that communication. So whether it be they're responsible for the communication with the students or the communication to the family or, you know, they need to be a part of delivering that information um, and, and dealing with the different elements that come back from it and being human around it, like we talked about, showing their empathy and their restorative understanding and their trauma-informed understanding so that they can build relationships through that communication with their other staff members and with their students. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked a little bit in the last episode as well around sort of uh, post-incident support. So it doesn't always have to be with a critical incident, but um, tying up that feedback loop. Uh, so either whether that's check-ins as leaders, whether that's making sure that uh, we have control as leaders. We have control of the message that's going out there. I think sometimes um, we hear a lot, don't we, of leaders saying that they don't want to communicate too much for privacy reasons. And while we agree, uh, you definitely don't need to be telling the whole story. But otherwise, otherwise, people, staff are going to be talking about it regardless, right? So we talk about um, communicating uh, that that key information to stop some of that corridor chatter uh, but also that in itself provides staff with the clarity and the understanding so that then they're not anxious and confused or frustrated by a lack of information um, yeah. so there's kind of a, you know from what I'm saying there there's a couple of prongs I guess it's tying up the feedback loop but it's also checking back in as well to ensure that um, we have in fact restored that relationship or after that incident or, um, yeah. you know, closed that off so that the wound isn't open per se. Yeah, Adrian, I think it's a great point that you made in regards to the step of having um, staff members involved in that communication process um, and feeding, you know, back into the restorative conversation with the students. Uh, so the ability for them to build the relationships, positive relationships with the students is, is what enables them to then have that, you know, that's well, a successful conversation or a successful re-entry conversation. Um, your systems have to be built to enable the time for the, for the staff members to have that um, because then the students understand that it's, it's one school system that's working. They're not working individually with that staff member and then individually with that staff member or that executive. Uh, and so I think it's a very important uh, step for those staff members, for the for the classroom teachers to be involved, um, and for that communication to be, you know, well rounded, e enabling them to be able to feedback together. 
Um, now, there was one other point that I forgot that you mentioned. That was that around, to um, we, we talked a little bit in the last episode around staff being involved in re-entry, um, mm-hmm. not just from suspension but also into classroom spaces. That was, you know, from working with you was a huge strength of yours. So I think it's a solution that we can definitely explore across all schools is how we do that really well. Yeah, it's this. I think if I was to put my teacher hat on again and be in the classroom, there's nothing more confronting than having a, a student that's had an incident with yourself uh, just appear back in your classroom all of a sudden. Um, and, and you as the staff not knowing what the resolution is, how it's been resolved, how the consequences have flown through. So all of those little elements that we're talking about provides that information. So the communication um, strategies that come out means that staff member already knows um, that, you know, the situation's been dealt with or a certain response has been made. Um, but even better than that, they're part of that yeah. solution and that conversation so that when they bring that Involved in the decision-making. The yeah, they're involved in it. Um, and then actually what you can get from those situations is a positive step in the relationship because staff and student are working together and, you know, all of those extra skills and initiatives and the restorative practice skills and the uh, trauma-informed, you know, presence of mind that we have enables that student to go, actually, you know, this staff member is going to help me, you know, and, and we've, we've got a good relationship and we have empathy together and we can be flexible together. Um, and therefore, the next time I'm in this situation in class, I, I might choose something different or a way to do something different or a way to ask or behave differently. Um, and, and the success then comes from ultimately the, the relationships and the, and the processes that support those relationships. Yeah, I think that involvement as a staff member too really supports that psychological safety, particularly if it has been a critical incident, that they feel supported by their school, that they were involved in that process, that they know what to expect, um, that they've had the opportunity to share how they feel and how they were affected, as well as problem solved with the student and the leader uh, in, in, in moving forward and how we can all be successful in our workspace but also in our learning space. And that tapped into, you know, one of my top fives is that's not hearing the students out properly. So when you have a good process like that, it empowers them because they feel heard. Yeah, that's right. Like I I can't, you know, I couldn't count the amount of times where I was involved in part of hurt even in a critical incident, but was able to return to work quite safely and positively because of the support that I was given and the processes in place. Um, And I... No, I think that staff are still affected regardless, whether that's in place or not. But I'd be probably willing to bet that they're far more impacted by critical incidences at work when they haven't felt part of the follow-through or like it hasn't been resolved or because then they're kind of waiting for the next time for that to to happen. Uh, So that really can't be overlooked. I think the feeling of support, well, I know, the feeling of support definitely lessens the anxiety or the anticipation of something happening again. Um, crucial. Because the fear in that part of it, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely crucial. And as a leader, one of my personal goals that I would go back to and, and look at over time to remind myself of what I need to be as a leader is ensuring I was well connected with my staff and I had great you know, relationships with my staff and I did what I had to do to support them because, you know, really... A school's heartbeat is what's coming from that staff and that collective 
shared, mm. you know, direction and responsibility from, from your staff members. And so, like you said, if you've had that experience about a comeback and feel supported, even after a terrible situation or a terrible incident, because we can't control, even as much as we put all these things in place, there's always going to be ups and downs. Roller coaster is always going to go all over the place. But if we can come back from those times positively, then, you know, we're leaps and bounds ahead of, of, of where we need to be because we know that ultimately we can make a mistake and still be able to come back from it, whether you're a student or a staff member or a leader or a parent, you know. Mm. That so. was actually one of my ideas under this solution was to learn from our experiences and the incidences as a team. So encouraging that culture of reflecting on it and unpacking it rather than sort of blaming individuals that really fosters that growth mindset and continuous improvement and learning from our mistakes. I think we become better from from our mistakes if we see it that way. And like you were talking about before, having that relationship as a leader with your staff uh, enables them to give you the benefit of the doubt. You might not always get it right, but when you've got that rapport and you've established the trust, your staff are far less likely to grab at certain things or experiences or, you know, develop a bit of a chip on their shoulder for those things. They Again, if we come back to that word, they embrace the humanness of schools, how we can't get it right every time, but we can certainly learn from each and everything. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. spot on. Good. And then our final solution uh, to a lot of these common mistakes and challenges is to adopt a positive behaviour approach. So to focus on the positive in our students, so in their behaviours, in their choices, in their decision-making, in their growth, over always looking at the consequences and major minor behaviours. It's, of course, as we were talking about earlier, it's focusing more on the function of behaviours and and why students are are doing certain things, but then rewarding when they are following our school values. Yeah. Patterns of behaviour can be interesting developments and students, people, adults can create a behaviour for the most bizarre, you know, reason or or understanding. And so, you know, the context of uh, PBS and PBL is around how do we shift our um, need to access uh, some kind of a function of behaviour? Um, how do we make it a positive concept? And so, you know, it's reinforcing and keeping the focus on all those positive elements because then what we what we get is we get young people who want to see, you know, the positive results or the good things come from the actions that they take. Um, they don't, you know, it's not the opposite of, well, if I... Um, I'm rude to this person, then they won't be that person's friend and therefore I get this friend as mine, you know. So it's the opposite of that. How do you embrace all of those positive elements and share and whatever and then, you know, you have that ability to be friends with more than just that one person. You have friends with, you know, five people in your classroom. And so changing that focus and that concept of they can get what they want and they can get what they need through doing something positively is is really the ultimate goal in what we're trying to do. We're trying to create little people that, that think in a way that they can they can do positive things in the world. Yeah, that's right. I'm listening. Have you got like little parrots or birds or something? They just started. <laughs> just up in the tree behind. <laughs> They're like an orchestra behind you. Right, yeah, right. no, definitely. And um, something we we were talking about in the mistakes is that actually I can't. I don't remember if we really unpacked it, but schools we work with who say that their positive 
behavior or PBS, PBL aligned. And then they definitely are. It's not that they're saying it, but they're not. But um, what can tend to happen over time is that those positive reinforcement and reward systems can start to wane. So we, we were talking just last week with the school around reviewing that data. How many of your positive reward points are being given out in comparison to other years or other terms? Perhaps using that as your data review for this one term might spur up a bit more uh, interest in that. Can we set goals around it? Can we have rewards as staff as for, for utilising those again? Uh, and and get them going because it's natural that they start off with a lot of enthusiasm and then can sort of taper off. But part of a successful approach, particularly around PBL, which really is um, I would probably say the most effective way to be managing student behaviours and, and moving towards um, a more harmonious school environment is on those rewards and, and having some kind of structured reward system in place. Oh, 100%. Because... We are, you know, we are human and we do love positive acknowledgement. You know, when mm. we do something right, we, we love that praise that we get. I mean, it's innate. I think everybody mm. loves to be praised for something. And I know sometimes there are concepts where we understand that, you know, it might not be always great to have some kind of a, an external a reward for something. Mm. But that external reward creates a drive that over time motivates an internal um, motivation, then then you're winning. You know, it doesn't matter if it started with an external motivator. It doesn't matter if it started with a reward for doing something because ultimately you're building behaviours of pattern that show them that there's a positive element to get out of it and that over time, as their little brains develop, they'll understand that it's not for a, a, a new pencil or an extra mm. time at lunch or a five-minute early break at recess. It's, it's actually for the benefit of, of themselves and for the others around them and that will come over time. But you need to start those processes early and you need to start it so that they, you know, they, they, they feel trusted and they feel that they can trust in, in, a, you know, in a setting or in a scenario or in a school where there's supportive people around them. I mean, the one example we did a lot at our school was just simply changing how you address the behaviour that was happening, happening in the classroom. So rather than saying to a student, you know, you're running through the library and it's a quiet space and so therefore, you know, you have to go back and walk, you ask them the question, oh, hey, guys, is this the, um, you know... The, Are you being the, safe? Or... Yeah, is this the correct thing to be doing in the library? Or you know, can you think of a different way you could move to the library that would help everyone else feel safer or more respectful? And so the student starts to then, you know, they're not being told off, mm. they're being told to think about something. Mm. And so that in itself is focusing on the positive rather than addressing the negative. So very simple but so important. Great. That was a great one to end on. Well, thank you so much, Rob, for joining me for for these two episodes to kick off 2024. It's been great having you back on and I look forward to uh, getting together in the same room again to record some more once you're, you're back on deck and yes. out of the caravan. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, we'll bring exactly. all these experiences back together and, yep. yeah, moving to the Really good. Thanks, Thanks so Adrian. much for joining me. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Do you have or know of any solutions that other schools may benefit from knowing? We'd love to hear from you. If you could leave the show a five-star review wherever you're listening to this and include in your comment some of these solutions. We'll review these and find a way to share them with our audience. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Well-Led Schools. 
A reminder that we're opening up space for five more schools to join our student management pilot program. This is a heavily discounted opportunity to work with us as we tailor and embed a student management action plan to focus your school's approach and avoid all of these common mistakes and, of course, weave in these great solutions. Learn more at adrianhornby.com.au forward slash behavior hyphen pilot. As always, you can access the show notes for this episode complete with information and links wherever you're listening to this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you haven't already. These really help to grow our reach and, of course, support more schools. Thanks so much for listening to Well-Led Schools. I look forward to connecting with you at adrianhornby.com.au. Here you can get in contact with me, learn more about my approach, and join my mailing list. I'm Adrian Hornby. Thanks again for your time and stay well.